Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good to see you. Merry Christmas and uh, all that good stuff. I'm happy to welcome those of you watching online. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing the services. This uh, Christmas Eve, we have an incredible service planned for you. And when I say that, I'm not just selling the sizzle. It's got some steak, too. It's going to be amazing. A few years ago, I don't know how, how many of you guys remember, we did a big band Christmas. You remember that? We had some of the horn section that played with Buddy Rich that toured with him. It was really a fun. Then we've done a country Christmas. This year, we're doing a blues Christmas. We've got a horn section coming in. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. So bring your friends, bring your family, be a part of one of these four services. And by the way, when you leave this morning, be sure and pick up one or two or more of these. These are our online opportunities for people to engage with us. There's candles in there. Uh, there's uh, a, a communion uh, kit in there for people who are interested in being a part of the Christmas experience with us but can't come on campus. Um, Dallas has got several of those in stores and in different opportunities for people to pick them up. So Pastor Dallas has done a great job with his online team getting these ready for you. So be sure and pick these up on the way out. Bring somebody with you. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. Tonight, or today rather, I'm going to be talking a little more about this series, Resounding Joy. And it really is something that I pray you all experience during this holiday season, resounding joy. But as you know, the series also delves into issues that some of us face during this time of the year. Uh, you have the holiday blues. You have to kind of fight that off a little bit. You go through some depression and you go through some low spots and so we're kind of acknowledging that that's where a lot of people are. But in the midst of that, you can still have joy. You remember when we talked about John 14, when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled? I talked a lot about that shortly after Cindy went to heaven. And I told you that it's possible when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, it's possible to have a troubled life, but an untroubled heart. Did you know it's possible to have a lot of stuff going on in your life that isn't real favorable, but still have joy? You can still experience God's peace. You can experience his joy, even though everything in your life may not be exactly where you want it to be or going exactly how you want it to go. So I, we talked, for example, we talked the first weekend out about dealing with sorrow during the season. I mean, the empty chair at the table, the, the family members and friends that you're not going to get to share the holiday with. And how, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? How, how, do you, how do you counterbalance some of the sorrow that comes with the season and, and experience joy. And we said, you have to see through it. You have to change your perspective on it. Uh, I've told you, you don't see things as they are. You see things as you are. And so if you can change how you see things, it will absolutely affect your, um, your heart and your spirit, your joy. And so we said, you realize God's have a purpose. He's got a plan. See it that way. Understand God doesn't make mistakes. Understand that our loved ones may not be with us, but they're in the presence of God, and keep reminding yourself, you're going to see them again. It's not goodbye forever, so long for a little while, and you still have a life to live, and they're in heaven cheering us on. So there's a way you can see it differently. So we talked about that. Then we said, this time of the year, not only you have to deal with some sorrow, you have to deal with some stress. 
You get a little stressed up this time of the year. Now, really, the Sunday before Christmas Eve, some of you are already feeling it. I've talked to people out in the lobby. Hey, where are you on your Christmas shopping? Oh, I got a lot left to do. Oh, my gosh. I didn't, you know. And so I, it's, isn't it? there's some stress associated with it. Some of you have family members coming in. There's some stress associated with that. Uh, you've got that one family member that's coming in, and there's some stress associated with that. And so I'm just saying the season brings about stress. So we say, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with worry? And we went to Philippians 4 where Paul said, don't stress about anything. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then Paul said, the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds. Paul said the payoff of praying about what you stress about is God will give you peace. He'll bring joy into your life. So I challenge you that weekend to just pray about what you stress about. Some of you are professional worriers. You worry if you're not worried. <laughs> so I would tell you, if you're struggling with that this morning, pray about what you worry about. Just connect that with that. So you have sorrow, you have stress. Last weekend, we said, sometimes the blues just set in on you, and you just can't get them. You, you've prayed, you know, you, you, you've, you've tried to change how you look at stuff, but you still can't fight it off. And then we, we gave you some advice last weekend to, where we said, then you serve through it. If you tried to see through it and pray through it, then you serve through it. Dude, get outside yourself. Uh, Bob Dylan said, you, you got to serve somebody, right? You, you have to get outside yourself and you have to do something for someone else. It's good psychology, it's good theology, <laughs> and it will change the level of joy in your life when you just simply say, I'm going to do something for someone else. Well, this weekend, I want to take the next step. And I want to talk about how, even though you're in the midst of something that might be confusing and something that might be difficult, the, the next challenge I would give you is to praise through it. Praise through it. Let a song of praise be in your heart and on your lips. You can praise your way through a lot of the things that you deal with. You see, um, joy, a happy heart, is always uh, uh, in, in, indicated through a song. In other words, people who sing or people who have a song generally have a happy heart, have a joyful heart. That's why music sets so many moods. Um, if you're having a bad day, you can listen to the right kind of music that does something in you. Maybe it connects you with a memory, a happy time. It lifts your mood. We all, we all understand that. Music is a powerful, a powerful thing. In fact, even in the Old Testament, when you had the first King Saul, in, uh, not first Kings, but you had the first king named Saul in 1 Samuel 16. And he had, this, he had this funk he couldn't get out of. He would get angry. He would get sad. Then he, and all this was going on. And, and what happened is he would bring David in. David would play a harp and sing. It was like be playing a guitar for us, you know, right? And he would sing. And what would happen is it would soothe the heart of King Saul. So my point is music has always had that effect. It changes our hearts, it changes our mindset, it lifts our mood. And the Christmas season, of course, is marked by songs and is marked by singing. Now, I don't know how early you turn on Christmas music in your house. Cindy used to turn it on way too early. <laughs> and then all the Hallmark movies. Aren't you fellas glad we're almost to the end of that season where all that gets over with? Don't you wish to just have a gunfight on one of them? Make it interesting. Just shoot, a brother needs a little action more than, anyway, here the point is, I'm going back in my mind to how, you know, I'm just suggesting to you that music is part of it. 
And so when you look into and you drop into the Christmas story, can I also remind you that Mary wrote a song? The mother of Jesus wrote a song. It's a beautiful song, and we're going to look at it a little while this morning. And the song came out of a heart of praise. It came out of a heart of worship. And it came from a young girl who was going through a very confusing time in her life. Now, most of us are familiar with the Christmas story, but here she was planning her life with her fiancé, Joseph. And she and Joe had everything lined out. They knew everything that they wanted to do. They knew the track of their life. And all of a sudden, God interrupted her plans. Can I ask you this morning, have you ever planned something and you, you just knew, you thought you knew where you wanted to go and you thought you knew how it was going to work out and all of a sudden God just interrupted your plans? I mean, somebody said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And I'm just saying, we've all had those experiences in life where we thought this is the trajectory, this is the direction, this is what needs to happen. And all of a sudden, man, God just intervenes. And Mary's heart was confused. Her heart was torn. She thought people would never believe her. She wondered about her family and friends. She wondered if this would actually happen. I mean, you, 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 when you drop into the story and you realize all of these emotions that are going on, and yet Mary found the secret to the joy of her life was through her praise and through her worship. By the way, when you began to praise and you began to worship God, praise actually is the threshold through which we enter the presence of God. Meaning there is a closeness to God that you and I find when we begin to praise him. Now, let me give you another word for those of you that may not be real strong church people and you'll have that in your background. So the word praise kind of is Christianese. Let me give you another way to think about it. Gratitude, thankfulness. Praise is expressing thankfulness and gratitude to God. Praise is simply saying to God, God, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you're doing in my life. So when you express gratitude to God, you are praising him. In fact, the Bible is, is pretty clear in the 100th Psalm in the fourth verse. He says, you enter his gates with thanksgiving and you enter his courts with praise. So the entry level, the entry level of connecting with your creator is through praise, thankfulness, gratitude, which requires humility. I mean, I'm just suggesting to you that one of the things that happens as we're going to see in the song of Mary is with all of the confusion and all of the things that were happening in her life that she didn't fully understand, she worked her way through it to the point where she could give God praise. And by the way, let me show you how pervasive this is. The 150th Psalm and verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath. All of us have breath. Everybody watching me online has breath. The psalmist says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, meaning that there's not a single solitary person anywhere in the world who, who cannot find something for which to be thankful. Everybody has something to be thankful for. It's the entry level. It's coming to the conclusion that no matter what has happened to you or what is going on in your life, if you stop long enough, and you start thinking about the blessings that you've had and the blessings you still have, you have something to be thankful for. Be thankful for what didn't happen to you. Remember that great hymn writer, uh, Garth Brooks, where he, where he penned the words, thank God for unanswered prayer. Have you ever stopped to thank God that he didn't answer some of your prayers the way you prayed them? <laughs> Can you imagine where you'd be right now if he did and who you'd be with if he answered every prayer the way you prayed them? 
I'm saying sometimes you're thankful for not only what God has done, but what he didn't allow to happen. I'm just saying the entry level of walking in the presence of God is praise. And then once you're in the presence of God, the next level of connection with him and communion with him is what we call worship. Worship. Look, we, we, we get the idea of worship from the idea of worth-ship. Worth-ship. Meaning value, right? Value. You remember the story, I'll give it to you this way, the story in Matthew 26, where Jesus and the apostles go to Mary's house, and Mary just surprises Jesus. She goes back and she, buys, she, she takes this expensive bottle of perfume. This was just shortly before Jesus would be crucified. And she breaks open this bottle of perfume, and she anoints Jesus with it. And man, when you study that and you realize the value of that perfume, it was going to cost her, it was worth several months of her wages. I mean, that's some expensive stuff. And yet she saw the value of giving that to Jesus, of breaking that and anointing him. She saw that value. But when you read the story, guess who didn't value it at all? Judas. Judas was there. And you know what Judas' response is? He says, that's a waste. Mary said, that's worship. Judas says, that's a waste. What's the difference? It was the value. Mary valued Jesus, so she thought, anything I give to him, he's worthy, he's worth it, so I worship. Judas said, he's not worth it. <laughs> anything you do for him is a waste. You see that? I mean, if you were to buy an expensive painting, for example, piece of art, and you're with a friend, and you see the price tag, and you say, wow, it's worth it. It's worth it. A friend may look at that same piece of art and tell you, it's a waste of your money. I wouldn't have that ugly thing in my house. What are you thinking? So it's a value judgment, right? We understand that. What is worship? Worship is valuing God. It is saying, God, I'm grateful for what you've done. I'm grateful for how, how you brought me thus far. And God, not only am I grateful, I value you. And I worship you with all that I am and with all that I have. And I'm saying, please don't miss this. This was the heart of Mary. This is the heart of the mother of Jesus. In fact, look with me in Luke chapter one, and you see, you see here her song. Luke chapter one, the first thing she does, the first stanza, is she praises him for his presence with her. His presence with her. Look at verse 46 of Luke one. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Let me give you context. Up in verse 19, the Bible says the angel Gabriel had just been in the presence of God. The angel Gabriel had been told, go and tell Mary she's going to bear the Christ child. So the angel Gabriel leaves the presence of God and he comes to this very humble, very poor, uh, very ordinary teenage girl and he shows up in her presence and he gives her that incredible news. One of the things that had to have been overwhelming to this young girl was the fact that the God of heaven had a plan for her life. The God of heaven knew who she was. The God of heaven knew where she was. When I read that, it was astounding to me just to think about that. I mean, I don't care who you are. You may say, man, I'm not that popular. I don't have that many friends. You know, I'm not a big influencer. Let me tell you something. The God of heaven knows who you are, and he knows where you are. 
That was the thing that set Mary back. She was, oh my God, the, Gabriel, the angel of God is here and he's brought me a message and God has a plan for my life. And it had to be overwhelming to her. And I thought when I read that, that's no less true for every person I speak to on any given weekend. The God of heaven knows who you are and he knows where you are. In fact, he's been with you a lot longer than you may have recognized. There's never been a moment in your life when the presence of God has not been around. Now, you may not have acknowledged it, and you may not yet have accepted it, but it doesn't mean that the presence of God hasn't been around you. Some of you had a grandmother, a grandfather who prayed for you when you were just a child. Some of you had a mom or a dad, a brother or sister, a friend. And in praying for you, they have kept that presence of God in your life. And young Mary had this epiphany. <laughs> she had this realization, wow, the God of heaven knows me, and the God of heaven has a plan for me. And friend, I want to say this morning, as we prepare for a, a, another year of Christmas, the God of heaven knows where you are. I, I don't think there's any accidents. I think the providence of God brought you guys into this room. I think the providence of God is having you watch the service at this moment, if for no other reason to say to you, I know who you are, and I know where you are. One of the hardest things for people to deal with is the feeling of being misunderstood, of not being accepted, of feeling like you don't fit in anywhere, and you don't fit in with anyone. And man, that's a powerful emotion. It can bring on some deep despondency in a person's life. And I want you to know the God of heaven, the God of heaven knows who you are. He knows where you are. And I love even how Mary opens this song. She said, my soul praises the Lord. And she said, listen, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My soul and spirit. You see, there's only three parts of us, right? We've hit this before. First Thessalonians 5, the Bible says, I pray that your spirit, she just talked about that, and your soul, she just talked about that. And then she said, and, and it says, and your body, be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. Well, the fact in her body, she's pinning this, and in her body, she's expressing this. So what I don't want you to miss is with her body and her spirit and her soul, in other words, with everything she is, she's giving God praise. How did Jesus say to worship him? Remember in John 4, worship me in spirit and in truth with all you are. Come before him and just say, God, here I am with the flaws that I possess, with the problems that I have, with the burdens that I shoulder, I mean, with the past that I've had. God, I bring all of that to you, and I give you thanks, and I enter your presence, and I worship. That's what he's looking for. Jesus told the woman in John 4, the Father is seeking those who worship him. He's looking for worshipers. And Mary was setting the example, the mother of Christ. And she's saying, with my whole being, my body and my spirit and my soul, I worship him. What's interesting is that word praise, maybe in your translation, it may be magnify. I magnify. A lot of religions refer to this song as the Magnificat. Maybe you've heard of that expression in your tradition, the Magnificat. It's taken, it's the first word in the Latin, the first line of that in Latin is uh, magnificat, uh, magnify, praise. What do you do when you magnify? He's, she said, I magnify, part of praise is magnify the Lord. What do you, well, I'm wearing something right now that's magnifying. Right now, I can't, I can't make out details. I can now, 
I can't now. I can now, can't now. <laughs> it's, it's a set of this thing that it magnifies right here, right, right in front of me, right? Some of you have got magnification on there as well. It helps you. It magnifies. So magnifies make larger. How do you make God larger? Magnify the Lord. What? Magnify the Lord? In fact, the psalmist says, Psalm 34, 3, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. How do you magnify? How do you make God bigger? How do you magnify God? What is she talking about? My soul and my spirit magnifies God. The psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me. Let's make him bigger. How do you take a God who stepped from nowhere, stood on nothing, spoke everything into existence, and it stays there because he tells it to? How do you make him bigger? Have you thought about that? I mean, practically. How do you make him bigger? Here's what I've come to terms with. She's not saying, I'm making God bigger in the world. She said, I've made him bigger in me. Psalmist said, I can't make God bigger in the world. He's huge. He's everything. He is God. But I can make him bigger in me. You know what happens when you praise him for his presence? You're making him bigger in you. When you magnify the Lord, you just go wall to wall with God. <laughs> you just give him praise. And I mean, and the, and, and, and the blessing of that, according to Galatians 5, is, man, you walk in the spirit, you magnify God, and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It keeps you on the straight and narrow. So the first verse of her song, through her confusion and uncertainty about what her future was going to hold, she said, I want to stop and acknowledge the fact that Gabriel came in my presence and let me know the God of heaven had a purpose and a plan for my life, and the presence of God is with me, and I want to praise him and magnify him and worship him. Do you have that? Let's go to the second verse. Not only praise him for his presence with her, but she praised him for his provision for her. Look down at verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Listen how she describes herself. I'm just humble. I'm a servant girl. I don't have a lot to offer. I love the line from that hymn, in, no, uh, in my hand no price I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I mean, Isaiah said when God found us, he dug us out of a pit. He got us when we were in a pit. He, he, dug, he, he carved us out of a rock. Mary acknowledged the fact that, man, she's just a humble servant girl. She doesn't have anything to offer God. Some people look at God like, what are you trying to get out of me? Are you kidding me? She looked at him like, why would he even want anything from me? I have nothing. I'm just, I have nothing to offer. I bring nothing to the table. Listen to what else she said. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She said, man, if God brings us to pass in my life, there's going to be people in 2021 that'll look back on Mary and say, what a blessed woman she was. What a blessed woman she was. And we're doing that this morning, right? And I mean, she had an understanding and she had insight because she realized, man, God is providing for me. And she went on to say, he's mighty. He's done, listen, great things for me. Mary said, when I talk, talk about God and I think about him, he's done so much already for me. And she said, holy is his name. And his mercy for those, not just for me, but his mercy for those to fear him will be a reality from generation to generation. So man, when Mary wrapped her head around the fact that this God who was with her was a God also that could provide for her, she gave him praise. Can I tell you this morning, guys, I try to apply this. There's not a need you have this morning, not one need that God cannot meet. And sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes we look at God as our last resort. 
instead of our first resort. For example, uh, the doctor may say something like this, I've done all I can, you need to pray. And we think, oh my God, are we down to that? <laughs> that's my option. Holy cow, that's a Hail Mary. You know, sadly. And sometimes we look at God as the last resort instead of the first resort. And I don't know. I'll go out on the limb of supposition far enough to say that it could be for some people, there's sometimes where God will allow everything in your life and everyone else in your life to fade away so that you'll realize when he's all you have, he's really all you need. You see, Jesus referred to himself in 1 Corinthians 3 as the foundation. You know what happens if you've got a good foundation? The, the house can fall, but you've got something to build on. You can begin again. God has a plan B for your life. Aren't you glad? You know, when NASA fires those rockets off, those rockets have onboard computers, and those things will make multiple adjustments. I read an article of a, of a scientist who said very few launches from the pad go exactly according to the original plan, that there's multiple adjustments those onboard computers will make to keep the, target, the, the rocket on target. And the only time that rocket is destroyed is if it turns around and heads back to the Earth. <laughs> and can I tell you, if NASA puts that much care into a rocket, how much care does the creator of the universe put into you and me? I'm just saying there's adjustments that we make all the time. God is saying, oh, you made a mistake over there. I'll bring you back over here. Oh, you need this? I got you. Don't worry about that. I, there's, there, you don't have a need he can't meet. You didn't bring anything into this room he can't handle. I don't care what it is. I may not be able to help you with it. I, I, I listen and I'll try to counsel with you and I'll, I'll pray for you, but I might not be able to do it. But listen, you've never brought anything to God that he couldn't handle. Never. I mean, God is able. He can meet your deepest need. He can meet your greatest need. That's why I tell you, if you don't know him, I highly recommend him because <laughs> he is a provider. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, in, in, in the very early days of her pregnancy, is writing this beautiful psalm, praising him for his presence and praising him for his provision. She said, I've already seen it. I've already seen God and how he takes care of me and how he's caring for me. He's got me and he's got this. So she gave him praise. Third stanza. She praised him for his power. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted the humble. She said, I have seen the power of God. How would I apply that? I would say there's nothing, as I said a moment ago, there's nothing he can't do. No sin he can't forgive, no burden he can't lift, no problem he can't solve. There's, and Mary said, I'm praising him, I'm thanking him, I'm worshiping him because he's with me, his presence, because he has provision for me and because he has power. He can take care of me. He can protect me. You have a protector and you have a provider in your relationship with your heavenly father. And what's beautiful about that, that never goes away. You can have protectors and providers in your life, and sometimes they go away. The Bible says the arm of flesh will fail you. People will let you down. People will hurt you. People will betray you. And there's a tendency when that happens is to protect yourself, and you tend to want to isolate, insulate. And you tend to try to protect your heart from anyone ever reaching it, or anyone ever breaking it again. And so many times a person can become hardened and they become cynical and they become bitter because they've had an encounter with someone who broke their heart.
I get that. I understand that. But God made us for relationships. He made us to interact with people. The Bible says in Romans 14, none of us live to ourselves alone, and none of us die to ourselves alone. We need people. You're healthier and you're happier when you're connected with people. And yeah, when you put your heart out there, somebody probably will stomp on it eventually, and somebody will. But can I tell you the one person that you can trust 100% of the time, that's your Savior. Your Savior. One of my go-to verses is Hebrews 13, 5, where he said, I have promised I will, listen, never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Remember, leave is to remove your presence from someone. Forsake is to emotionally disconnect with someone. That's what it means. Well, that's the only way we humans are connected. We're either physically connected with each other and or we're emotionally connected with each other. When you think about it, you can be physically connected with someone that you're emotionally disconnected to. There's no emotional connection, even though there's a physical connection. Conversely, you can be emotionally connected to someone you're physically disconnected from. They're away from you, but you still have that emotional connection. So Jesus said, when you consider the human condition, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never remove my presence from you, and I'll never emotionally disconnect from you. His power is there. His power is available. There's nothing he can't do. Here's the last stanza. She covered praise for his presence, praise for his provision, praise for his power. Here it is now, fourth stanza. Praise him for his purpose. She looks back and she thinks about how God has blessed generations before. Look in 54. He helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring, note, forever. And she said, now I have stepped into that lineage I'm a part of God's plan. I'm a part of his purpose. Remember, she said, generations to come will call me blessed. She realized, as young as she was, she realized God has an incredible purpose for her life. And the application I would share with you this morning is God's got a purpose for your life. He didn't just look down out of heaven on a Sunday morning and spot you and scratch his head and say, what am I going to do with that one? <laughs> He's got a plan for your life. And if you're struggling to discern it, you have to get connected with the Creator. You have to read the instructions. I don't know, we're put together as are coming up here in a few days. I don't know, guys, are you like me? You just say, I know how to get this together. And you end up with several screws, and you're going, what in the world? I hope this thing doesn't fall apart, right? And so many times we don't read the instructions. The instructions God's Word. And the Creator is the designer. He's the one that made it. And sometimes you can disconnect from the instructions and you can dis disconnect from the Creator and you just kind of create something that may fall apart. But man, if you can follow the instruction manager and stay connected with the Creator, you can discover purpose. Remember I told you in Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die. Time to laugh, a time to cry, he said. So time... My time, your time, is connected to our purpose. Meaning as long as we have purpose, God gives us time. The minute your purpose is over, your time will be over. And so Mary was kind of comprehending that. And she's saying, I'm in this lineage, this generational thing, that God is doing something in my life, and I'm a significant part of his plan for my life. So she just stopped long enough to put that into a song and said, I'm going to praise him for that. There's a generational praise. Listen to the 138th Psalm in verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God will, David said, God's going to fulfill this for me. And he said, your steadfast love, Lord, endures forever. 
Let me give you a practical way that worked out. Remember Joshua that followed uh, Moses who led Israel across Jordan and into the promised land? Joshua was a young man. And God made all these incredible promises to Joshua. When you get to chapter 23, Joshua is an old man. He's about to die. And these are the last words of Joshua. Listen, verse 14. I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. People have gone before me. They've died. The the summary of all civilizations is in Genesis 5. They lived and they died. They lived and they died. They lived and they died. Joshua said, I'm about to leave. I know my time is short. I'm about to leave. But here's what I want you to know before I go. Listen to this. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. He said, not one has failed. He said, before I die, I want to reiterate the fact that the God who promised is the God who performed, and he never failed. So can I challenge you this morning to hang on to the fact God has a purpose for your life? His presence is with you. He has the power and the provision that you need. So don't let the confusion and the conflict that comes into your life discourage you, make you want to quit, because God's not finished with you. Just give him some praise. Listen to this. In 1902, the Atlantic Monthly Journal poetry editor returned a batch of poems to a 28-year-old poet with this note, and I quote, our magazine has no room for your poetry. So Robert Frost received all his poems back. 28-year-old Robert Frost. Listen to this. 1905, the University of Bern failed a PhD applicant when his mentor wrote these words, I quote, your dissertation is not relevant. And Albert Einstein failed. One more. 1894, an English teacher wrote these words, on a 16-year-old's grade card. She said, you are a conspicuous lack of success, and Winston Churchill failed. I'm saying some of the greatest people in history had to deal with the confusion and the conflicts of life, but they didn't let it defeat them. They kept getting back up. They kept moving forward. And I'm saying to your heart, you may be not unlike young Mary, confused, not sure what the future holds, stop long enough, acknowledge his presence and give him some praise. Stop long enough, acknowledge his provision and give him thanks. Stop long enough and realize his power. He can do anything and give him thanks. And stop long enough and recognize his purpose. He's not finished with you. There's something he has for you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that never returns void. It always accomplishes purpose, according to Isaiah. So help us now not to just be hearers of your word, but help us to be doers of your word. Help us to apply that which we have heard. And Lord, in this season, help us to see through it. And help us, Father, to pray through it. And help us, Lord, to serve through it. And this morning, help us to praise through it. And bring about that joy, resounding joy, during this season. Bless every family. Father, those who are here and those who are watching by the hundreds, I pray this will be a wonderful season, a safe season. Father, we pray for these four services. We know a lot of people won't attend church normally, but if asked, they'll come on a Christmas. And so, Lord, I pray that we will leave this room determined to invite someone to be a part of those services. 
And for those that we know can't attend, I pray we'll take that little packet with us and share that with them so that they can go online and be a part of our online experience on a Christmas Eve. Father, I pray by the thousands we'll see people impacted as we enjoy and experience your presence in this place. And finally, Lord, I pray for those who may never have trusted you as Savior. They may never have come to that moment when they've humbled their heart and they've prayed to receive you. I pray this would be that moment where they simply pray, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.